1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is
2: 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Futures pointing towards a lower open after stocks closed at record highs yesterday. Moderna's COVID vaccine is one step closer to getting emergency use authorization from regulators. Congressional leaders are scrambling to strike a stimulus deal to avoid a government shutdown as a midnight deadline quickly approaches. FedEx shares are trading lower despite better than expected quarterly results. And the nation's largest cryptocurrency exchange is filing to go public as Bitcoin continues to soar. It's Friday, December 18th, 2020, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. I am Dominic Shewin for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up with futures pointing to some mixed pictures right now. A slightly lower open implied for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, just about 17 points to the downside. Pretty much flat for the S&P 500 and just a mere seven point decline for the overall Nasdaq at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. This comes after the Dow, the S&P, the Nasdaq and Russell 2000 all posted record closes in yesterday's trading session. You can see their year to date. It's still the Nasdaq leading the way higher up by 42 percent. By the way, we are right now, the Nasdaq, on pace for its best weekly gain since the beginning of November. That composite year date still up 42 percent. It's been almost a straight line higher since the pandemic lows. Meanwhile, on the Treasury yield side of things, we are seeing at least a little bit of movement here. Higher, higher slightly. About 94 basis points for the 10-year benchmark Treasury note. 12.3 basis points, or 12.123 percent for the two-year note yield. And the 30-year long bond right at 1.69 percent there. Let's now go worldwide. The Bank of Japan announcing it will stick to its current policy framework, which includes negative interest rates. Most of the major averages in Asia, as you can see, they're closing a bit lower today. Meantime, though, in Europe, focus returns to what else? The Brexit talks in the UK. Juliana Tettelbaum joins us now from London with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Juliana.
3: Dom, good morning. Well, very fair to say that Brexit remains firmly in focus for European investors as we enter enter the final stretch, December 31st. That is the deadline when the transition period ends. Both sides continue negotiations in Brussels this morning, and we are seeing some gains in the FTSE 100. The UK benchmark up 0.74 percent this morning. The EU's chief negotiator out this morning speaking to Parliament in Brussels, saying that a path to a Brexit trade deal is very very narrow, so investors quite cautious, but still some gains for the UK equity market. Outside of the UK, we've got some gains for the German, French, Italian, and Swiss markets. The Spanish market underperforming a little bit, down about 0.3%. Worth putting these moves into context for the week, the main European benchmark, the stock 600, up 1.8% coming into the session. That is on pace for its sixth positive week in the last seven. Taking a little bit of a closer look at the Brexit impact on markets, here is Here's a look at sterling. The British pound is trading 0.6% lower versus the dollar to 135. This does come after a very strong run this week for sterling. And uh, you'll notice that the equity market is gaining today. These uh, two things tend to have an inverse relationship given the bulk of that FTSE 100 uh, are multinational companies, which uh, usually benefit from a weaker pound. So that's the story here. Uh, we will be covering all those Brexit developments over the weekend. I have an update for you on Monday. Dom?
2: Juliana Tettelbaum, have a nice weekend. Thank you very much for that. Now to this morning's top corporate headlines. Rahel Solomon joins us with those. Good morning, Rahel.
4: Hi, good morning, Dom. So let's start with Moderna. Now one step closer to getting emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine. An FDA advisory panel voted to recommend approval. It's a non-binding decision, and the FDA doesn't actually have to follow the recommendation, but it often does. If the agency gives the green light, the Moderna vaccine could be given to people within days. Meantime, Vice President Mike Pence is expected to get a COVID vaccine live on camera today. He will be joined by his wife, Second Lady Karen Pence, and Surgeon General Jerome Adams. Also, President-elect Biden expected to receive the vaccine as soon as next week. Microsoft was hacked as part of a large-scale cyber attack believed to have been backed by Russia. The company executive said on Twitter that Microsoft had been looking for indicators of the hacker and the hijacked software from SolarWinds. They found malicious code and removed it. Now, other victims of the cyber attack include the U.S. Treasury, as well as the state and Commerce Departments. And finally, the Trump administration is reportedly set to add about 80 more Chinese companies to the Commerce Department's blacklist. This is said to include SMIC, which saw its shares slide in Hong Kong trading on the news. You can see shares are down about 5.2 percent. All
2: right. Thank you very much, Rahel Solomon, for those headlines. Now to this morning's other developing story out of Washington, D.C., Congressional leaders are trying to finalize a deal on a COVID relief package while also avoiding a big government shutdown. NBC's Tracy Potts has the latest from
0: Washington. For millions of Americans devastated by COVID 19, losing benefits just after Christmas, lawmakers promise help is on the way.
5: We're going to stay right here, right here, until we're finished. Even if that means working through the weekend, which is highly likely. We're very close to an agreement, but the details really matter.
0: Details on $900 billion to help small businesses and extend unemployment. 885,000 Americans filed for the first time last week.
6: To be honest, I've run out of what I'm going to do now.
0: There's $600 for every eligible adult. Not everyone wants that.
6: What could be dumber as an idea to print up money we don't have?
0: This emergency relief includes millions to distribute vaccines. Vice President and Mrs. Pence and the Surgeon General get theirs today with key members of Congress up next. The FDA could approve a second vaccine today as the U.S. hits another day of record cases.
6: I think by next Christmas we'll be close to normal.
0: President-elect Joe Biden on the late show last night urging Americans to hold out one more year. So tonight is also the deadline at midnight for government funding, trying to avoid a shutdown since lawmakers want to link that with COVID funding. Down. What they're likely to do today is pass another short-term extension, at least through the weekend, to try to get both done.
2: So, Tracy, if we do have this kind of a situation developing right now with the time frame that we're talking about, if a deal gets done, we know it's not comprehensive, both sides aren't getting everything that they want. What exactly then is left to negotiate down the line If we do get some some kind of a makeshift package done for covid relief right now.
0: Yeah, so the two big things that are left out are liability protection for small businesses regarding covid and state and local funding. Republicans want the liability protection. Democrats and uh, want the state and local funding. This is money. They say that cities and states need to pay teachers and police officers and others on the public payroll. All of that likely to get bumped over into the new year in the new Congress.
2: All right. Tracy Potts live in Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's turn now back to the market stocks once again hovering at record highs in what's been a very banner year for investors who would have figured in 2020. It's also been an especially good year for both initial public offerings and special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs making their way onto the markets now. For more, I'm joined by Daryl Crate, founder and managing principal at Easterly Partners. Daryl has a very interesting perspective. He's been on that private equity side of things before. Daryl, let's talk about whether or not the initial public offering market, IPOs and SPACs, are they signaling a bubble-like market that we saw like back in the late 1990s?
6: Well, I think, Don, what you're seeing is this could be the beginning of the roaring 20s. There's a lot of capital that's been sitting on the sidelines for too long that's looking for high-quality companies to bring to the market valuations are high, you know, interest rates have been incredibly low, there's pent-up demand, uh, and there's a real opportunity for attractive uh, equity to enter these companies and help them grow. You know, we've seen 80 billion dollars that's been raised in the SPAC market, and these are high-quality sponsors that are going out to find high-quality companies to bring to the market. And that's a, and, and that really works for uh, for both the companies and for investors.
2: It seems almost anecdotally like these days, Daryl, you hear more about companies coming public through SPACs as opposed to the traditional IPO process. What exactly then does that tell you about maybe the overall market valuation or is it simply a cost feature and, and, and maybe more of a logistical issue, a preference to go SPACs versus IPOs?
6: Yeah, I think there's a there's a preference. I mean, if you're a company that has uh, not been in the public markets, you want a sponsor and a SPAC allows for a sponsor to work with a company over months, maybe even a year, you know, to help them, prepare them, get them ready to go public. I mean, it's kind of like if you were to apply to college and not have a guidance counselor. That's what it is to work with an investment bank. But here, having a trusted, aligned sponsor working with you really does improve your chances for success. So so
2: there's also a, a case to be made. I, I've spoken to some folks out there who say that the traditional IPO process The one we've come to know so well over decades now provides more transparency, gives more news and data out for investors out there, not just the institutional ones, but folks out there like you and I who are or maybe not you. But for me, who don't exactly know that much about a company, who haven't been part of the roadshow, who haven't seen that level of scrutiny from all kinds of investors. How exactly then does that resonate with you? SPACs basically have one sponsor. They take it public and then it's just a public company.
6: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, but there's the same threshold uh, required for information disclosure for a SPAC as there is for an IPO. The banks wouldn't like you to think, you know, that it's a better alternative. But one of the things that's true about a SPAC is that when they become public, they can actually share their projections with investors before they go public. In a bank, it's behind a wall. It's, a, it's among analysts and, you know, it kind of comes out in a way that isn't very direct. This is a company sharing with you what their object, financial objectives are you know, for the next one, two, three, four, five years. So as an investor, you know what you're buying.
2: Now, I'm also curious here. You've seen what happened with the IPOs for Airbnb and the IPOs for DoorDash, just to, just among others. I mean, we could go to Snowflake and everything else out there. Is, there. is there a case that you're seeing here right now, Daryl, where those types of IPO performances, not just in the pricing, but in the first trade and beyond, signal that this is very much a market that may be overvalued, in your opinion.
6: Yeah, um, it, it, that may be the case. It also may be that the bankers wanted to undervalue Airbnb. I mean, if this, is what, if this is what the market says that company is worth, well, that's the value. And, you know, in a SPAC contest, you know, I like to call SPACs IPOs in slow motion. And it gives everybody time to really understand the company that's going public. You know, in Airbnb, if you're an IPO investor, one of the few that's allowed to truly get those IPO shares, uh, you really didn't know how much of the company you owned and at what price until the day after the deal was done. In a SPAC, the capital you commit, you're getting specific shares at a specific evaluation. And, um, and, and that really just sounds like it works better for, uh, for everybody.
2: All right. It's been the year of the SPAC for sure and and massive IPOs. Daryl Crate at Easterly, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend, sir.
6: Great. You take care. Nice being with you.
2: All right. When we come back on the show, FedEx posting better than expected quarterly results. So why are the shares actually trading lower this morning? We'll explain. That's coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, check out some of this morning's other big movers. Look up there. Technip, uh, Technip, FMC, PLC, Omni Group, and Lennar, some of the biggest pre-market gainers. Lennar, remember, had earnings out yesterday. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
1: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A few stocks on the move to tell you about this morning. Watch shares of FedEx trading lower so far pre-market. The company posting better than expected earnings and revenues. But the shipping giant isn't providing a profit forecast for the next year, citing continued uncertainty and higher costs amid what else? The COVID pandemic. Coca-Cola is cutting 2,200 jobs, including 1,200 right here in America. That's about 12% of its U.S. workforce. The reductions come as the company tries to trim costs as it deals with the impact of various COVID-related shutdowns on its business. And then in deal news this morning, Philips is buying cardiac diagnostics and monitoring firm Biotelemetry for $72 a share or roughly $2.8 billion. That's a nearly 17 percent premium to yesterday's closing price. Those shares up 15 percent in the pre-market trade. Now, earlier, we talked about the ongoing stimulus talks in Washington, D.C., ahead of tonight's big government shutdown deadline. Amid those back and forth negotiations on virus aid, new data is suggesting a looming eviction crisis that may force some Americans onto the streets this holiday season. Diana Olek joins us now with more on that. Good morning, Diana. Diana.
7: Good morning, Dom. Yeah, the moratorium on evictions by the Centers for Disease Control ends in exactly 13 days, and the rental crisis is only getting worse as more people fall behind on their payments. New numbers this week from the census show 18% of renters are behind on their rent. This represents 19 million people in about 8 million households. States with some of the highest share of troubled renters include New Jersey, Florida, Illinois, Oklahoma, and Maryland. Break it down, and 28% of black renters 24% of Latinx renters and 24% of renters with children were not current. In addition, 30% of renters said they had no confidence they would be able to pay next month's rent. Now, in the latest stimulus package being negotiated on the Hill, the CDC's eviction moratorium does get extended until the end of January. But more importantly, there is $25 billion in aid to renters and landlords that would be used for current and past rent, as well as utility payments. Now, there are, of course, multiple qualifications for that, including proof of unemployment or significant loss of income due to COVID. Now, protests are erupting around the country as the deadline approaches, like this one in New York. Unfortunately, thousands of renters whose leases expired in the last several months and therefore didn't. Not fall under the current cdc eviction moratorium have already been evicted in addition mom and pop landlords who make up the majority of the market have been hardest hit some are behind on their mortgage payments because they're not getting the rent dom it's just a crisis all around
2: it's a map i mean we can see the ripple effects because it's it's kind of like this whole idea that if people cannot pay their rent then landlords who have properties and are levered are not making their mortgage payments. It could lead to a whole cascade. Just how critical then is it for lawmakers to realize this about the especially residential market right now? How many people could really be out on the streets because of this? And how urgently is this going to be a deal that they need to kind of get done with regard to renters and landlords?
7: It's incredibly urgent. And all you need to do is look at last spring when you did have the first stimulus, when you had extra unemployment benefits and you had those checks to renters. People were current on their rent until about July when that ran out. That's when you started to see the people really fall behind. So that $25 billion is incredibly important. As for the CDC eviction moratorium just going one more month, that's just kicking the can down the road. You're going to have a lot of people with a lot of back rent and giving them one more month. What's that going to do? If you don't have that twenty five billion dollars and you don't get that money quickly, both to the renters and through the to the landlords, you're going to have a trouble not only with people getting evicted out on the street. But again, as you said, those landlords, that's how they make a living. That's how they pay their mortgages. And you could have those mortgages go into foreclosure.
2: It's a it's a huge deal in regular times, let alone what's happening with covid right now, and especially around the holidays. Diana Olick, thank you very much for the update on that big story there. Still on deck for the show, we're going to talk about Bitcoin's big run and the plans by the nation's largest cryptocurrency exchange to go public.
0: Today's big number, 35 percent. That's the S&P 500's realized volatility this year, making it the second highest level since the Great Depression.
9: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
7: of a detour.
2: Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Philip.
5: Good Friday morning to you, Dom. Uh, Much of the northeast will still be digging out this morning after that powerful nor'easter. Crews are still hard at work trying to make roads safer for drivers after the storm dumped more than 40 inches of snow in some areas and caused multiple pileups. At least seven deaths are being blamed on the storm. And as of last night, there were more than 25,000 customers still without power. Russian athletes will have to compete under a neutral flag for the next two Olympics and at any world championships for the next two years. A sports arbitration court on Thursday banned the Russian flag and anthem as punishment for state-sponsored doping and cover-ups after the Sochi Winter Olympics six years ago. And finally, the Buffalo Bills had some fun in the snow on Thursday. Several players out there chucking snowballs at each other after practice. That's cornerback Tredavious White on top of the mound. Did not stay king of the mountain for very long. The Bills will travel to Denver to play the Broncos on Sunday. Dom, back to you.
2: You know what was fun? being part of a team that's on top of the AFC East right now. That's probably the reason why they're having so much fun right
5: now. It is a great year for uh, Buffalo up there. I just wish the fans were there to see it in up in Orchard Park. I know. I, my, I have a, I have,
2: and my Aunt Barbara there is a huge Buffalo Bills fan, and I know that she's just been ecstatic over what's been happening, even though she can't be there in person. Philip Mena, thank you very much for that update. We appreciate it. All right. Coming up on the show, a live report from Washington as congressional leaders scramble to reach a new stimulus deal and a government funding plan. Ahead of tonight's big shutdown deadline, what investors need to know. All of that coming up on Worldwide Exchange Returns after this break. Good morning, stocks take a breather right now as the major averages trade right near all-time highs. D.C.'s deadline. Congressional leaders try to reach a deal on COVID relief and government funding as the risk of a shutdown looms. And like father, like son, check out that video. Tiger Woods has a special playing partner at this weekend's PNC Championship. And the video will have you doing a double take It's Friday, December 18th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Dominic Chu, in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures are taking a bit of a break. You can see right now the Dow Jones implied lower by just about 23 points. Very, very marginal declines here. The S&P off by a whole one point, not even a percent, just a point. And the Nasdaq implied lower by 11. So some stability in that after hitting record highs for many of the major indices in just yesterday's session. Now, bonds continue to trade a little bit more steady as well. Ten-year benchmark note yields currently about 94 basis points or 0.94%. Two-year note yields, a hair over 12 basis points, or 0.123%. And the 30-year long bond, 1.69%, the last trade there. We also continue to watch Bitcoin. Why? Because it's been a surge as of late. You can see there $23,045, the last trade there, up a percent. It got as high as 23700 plus at one point in yesterday's session. But look at that. Two hundred and twenty one percent year to date gains for Bitcoin. It's been a long time since people have caused that buzz around it. Now, on the topic of Bitcoin, a bit of corporate news on this as well. The iron is hot for this, and that means digital currency exchange Coinbase is looking to go public. It confidentially submitted a draft registration with regulators yesterday. So Coinbase, the biggest exchange operator for cryptocurrencies in the U.S., looking to go public while the iron is hot for the overall crypto market. Now back to the big story out of Washington, D.C. And one, investors are following very closely. Congressional leaders are trying to finalize a deal on COVID relief while also avoiding a big government shutdown. Elon Moy joins us now with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Elon.
8: Well, Dom, Congress is bracing for a weekend of work on Capitol Hill as lawmakers struggle to put the final touches on that COVID relief package and a government funding bill. Now, as you know, Uncle Sam runs out of money at midnight, and right now it's unclear if lawmakers are going to pass a stopgap funding measure that would keep the lights on or how long that would last. They could also just run out the clock and let the government shut down at least for a little while. Now, one of the outstanding issues is a fight over the Fed. GOP Senator Pat Toomey has been pushing to prevent the Fed from restarting the emergency lending programs that Treasury asked it to shut down by the end of the year. That includes the Main Street lending program and the municipal liquidity facility. Toomey said his proposal would make it clear that these programs were meant to be temporary. And he said his proposal would also make sure the Fed's independence is preserved, as well as keep its broader 13-3 authorities intact. Still, Democrats are worried that ending these facilities could hamstring the incoming Biden administration. And they also argue that there's no legal requirement to wind them down. And yesterday, the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service agreed. So, in a letter to the Treasury Secretary, Democratic Representatives Maxine Waters and Jim Clyburn wrote this. During this time of unprecedented hardship, the federal government should be doing everything in its power to support the economic recovery, not stripping the Fed of critical economic tools. So, Dom, the bipartisan group of lawmakers that got all these talks restarted, they're now calling on leadership of both parties to put aside these differences and just finish the job. Back over to you.
2: What are the key points, Ilan, the the key points and and the key parts of agreement that that everybody gets on on board with? I I know that some lawmakers on the Democratic side wanted much bigger direct payments, $1,200 or more. Some people are saying that this $600 is possibly a a good compromise. How much in small business loans? I, I, I wonder what the key points are that everyone says, yes, this is what we need to get done.
8: Yeah, there are actually a lot of areas in which they agree, including getting more money out to the states so that they can uh, pay for the distribution of the vaccine. So vaccine funding is one, more money for schools, the money for small businesses that you mentioned. And that is what has been so frustrating about this process, both for lawmakers on Capitol Hill, for reporters like myself, and of course, for Americans and small businesses, is that there is so much that Congress could do, but they keep getting hung up on these individual points that ends up stymieing the overall bill and keeping Congress from making any progress on this. So there's a lot of area of agreement, a lot of help that could come to Americans if only Congress could get this job finished.
2: For as much agreement as there is out there, you'd think they could get a package done quicker. Ilan Moy, thank you very much for the details there on that. Let's get more with Andy Blocker from Invesco, who's their head of their Government Affairs Division. Andy, you heard Elon's report there. There's a lot that these guys agree on. Why can these folks not get a deal done? And then what exactly is left to do in 2021?
9: Well Dom, you and I have been talking about this for some time, months in fact. But right now I feel the most optimistic about their actually being able to get a deal, and mostly because the politics for this align. If early in the year it wasn't certain, but now with so many provisions expiring after Christmas, including unemployment insurance the eviction moratorium, and the small business help; those things expiring really puts the pressure. And I believe, as you've heard from Senator McConnell and Senator Schumer and Pelosi, that they're going to get a deal done.
2: So, so, I mean, I I want to say this is deja vu all over again, a little hat tip to Yogi Berra out there. But but we've heard these headlines before. There is a real sense of urgency right now because there's a government shutdown that's set to take hold. And now there are lawmakers who are tying government shutdown avoidance to COVID relief. Does that mean that a deal definitely gets done today?
9: Well, there's, I don't think it means it definitely gets done today. I think you have time, even if the government shuts down today, technically you have the weekend and where that really doesn't impact is when you get to Monday and Tuesday might have a bigger impact. But even with that right now, since we're in the holiday season, you won't really see the impact. So really they have until Christmas to get this done. And I really think that because it's everyone's interest. If you think about it, with the Georgia elections coming up, the senators there are getting attacked um, in the media about whether or not they're going to get a deal. And so it really would help. I know if McConnell really wants to win those seats.
2: You have uh, you, you work for a financial company at Invesco. You run a group that looks at U.S. government affairs. What exactly then does your group look at right now as being the biggest risk for investors? coming out of Washington, D.C.?
9: Well, I think the biggest risk for investors is not getting a deal. I mean, right now, if you don't get this deal, the market's already kind of baked this deal in right now. And if Washington is shown as ineffective at this level, it's really tough. Beyond that, beyond Washington, I'd say it's really about the vaccine. It's about can we get the vaccine out in time? You've heard that on your show multiple times. If by the spring, um, and by the summer, we have a lot of progress on the vaccine. Not only does it help us from a health perspective, but it also helps the economy. That's when you can get restaurants open. That's when you get the economy going. And so we're really watching that in the longer term.
2: You mentioned that the markets are fully priced in the expectation of government action right now. That also implies that if they don't act, there will be a market drop. How deep do you think a market drop would be? If congressional leaders in the White House do not come to some kind of a deal to both keep the government open and get stimulus out to much many of the Americans out there who need it the most.
9: As far as the market drop, I think it'll be shallow, if anything, and temporary, because even if they don't get it, you know they're ultimately going to get a deal. Honestly, Dom, this deal is actually much more important with respect to how individuals out there who are hurting. You and I are on the top side of the K economy, we get to work from home. But for those who are unemployed or those who actually have to get out and go to work and uh, under hardship conditions, that's really it's impacting. So this is the part that's impacting lives. I think the markets are going to be fine overall.
2: All right. So, so you mentioned the K-shaped. What exactly happens next year under a Biden administration to narrow that K to make sure that the Americans hardest hit by the economic downturn actually start to get brought up?
9: So you're gonna see, if you get this down payment on a on COVID relief package, he's gonna come back, President Biden will come back and try to get COVID stimulus to really get the economy going. He can also work towards infrastructure. That's where he's really gonna for, focus. And the key there is going to be, what's the shape of the Senate? If the Democrats have the Senate, you can see that those packages being larger. If the Republicans maintain the Senate, you can see them being smaller. Also, like I said before, if the vaccine is fully baked and out there in, across the country and the economy starting to come to alive, you're going to see Republicans argue, hey, we don't really need that big of a package. So those are the things we're watching.
2: All right. Andy and Vesco with the Outlook for Investors on COVID Relief. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you. Coming up on the show, a winter wonderland normally means big business for the nation's ski resorts. But this year's COVID restrictions, yeah, they make the equation a bit more complicated. We're going to hit the slopes with Contessa Brewer coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, some of today's other top headlines. Poshmark filing to go public. The online clothing reseller has reported two consecutive quarters of profitability. Unilever will resume advertising on Facebook. It joined other companies that, remember, pulled money during the summer in protest amid calls for the social media giant to do a better job with how it handled hate speech and misinformation. And Uber will offer 10 million free or discounted rides to people looking to get a COVID vaccine. A date for when the offer will start has not yet been set. But keep an eye on that. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. The streets are wet there and there's still a little bit of snow, but it looks a heck of a lot better than it did about 12 to 24 hours ago. That's a live shot of New York Times Square right now. Still trying to clean up there from the big snowstorm that happened just over the last couple of days. Well, let's check out what's happening with the market's overall pre because we are seeing some pre-market gainers for the Dow. Nike shares and Walmart and Boeing are each up roughly a half a percent, helping to kind of move some of the positivity into the Dow pre-market side of things. Meanwhile, we'll take the flip side of that coin. Some of the bigger laggards so far today are Intel, Amgen. I'm still getting used to saying Amgen as a part of the Dow here and American Express each off about roughly one third to one half of one percent there. Well, this morning's winter storm along the East Coast may have a lot of people thinking about hitting the slopes. But the coronavirus pandemic is creating very new challenges for ski resorts as they brace for potentially stronger demand. Contessa Brewer joins us now from Hunter, New York a very big mountain for a lot of New York City residents to go Hunter and Wyndham up there. Contessa, what does it look like? Are people going to be skiing more?
1: Well, you know what? It's looking beautiful because that Nor'easter, you're right, Dom. It made a lot of dreams come true for ski resorts dreaming of a white Christmas, two feet of fresh powder on a lot of these mountains, but coronavirus uh, has caused them to require reservations at many of these ski resorts. In this case, A lot of them are sold out. Try to get a ski pass for this weekend. You're going to be hard-pressed to do so. Vail Resorts just reported quarterly earnings last week, and COVID caused big losses down 44% year over year. Get this, though. Demand for those season passes up 20% because, you know, everybody's looking for something to do, and Fresh air and scenery and exercise. Vail's biggest competitor, Altera Mountains, offers the Icon Pass. It owns 16 properties. Its CEO told us the drive-to ski hills are in high demand. Fly-to destinations are having a tougher time. And, of course, there's a lot of costs associated with these COVID precautions.
0: So Right now, our margins are under pressure, frankly, because of the number of people it takes to control large crowds. And we're making sure that those large crowds are smaller crowds uh, for this period of time. But once we get back into regular operations with the volume that we uh, we typically enjoy, there's significant margin improvements to the way we're running the business now.
1: For instance, he says there are efficiencies in having people make dining reservations on these apps and then just... Pick up their food once they're ready to eat. Jeffrey's analyst David Katz told me that ski resorts make a lot of their money by, one, packing people onto those slopes and then on the food and beverage in the lodge. And that's all now limited or, in fact, non-existent, Dom, with a lot of ski resorts closing their lodges altogether.
2: Oprey ski is the only part of skiing that my wife really likes doing. I I enjoy skiing myself. But let's talk about, I mean, in the golf industry, which you know I I I follow very closely, there's a lot of kind of compiling. There 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 are programs now where golf resorts or multiple properties get together and have like a partnership agreement where they can kind of have memberships where one person plays all these different golf courses. It seems as though that's going to be a trend that happens in skiing as well. Is that the type of consolidation that we will see, that that these ski resorts start to kind of partner with each other to get more people onto the slopes?
1: really insightful that you point that out because what we've seen with Vail is that they acquired Peaks Resorts. So that folds those members into the pass program. So when you look at the number of passes that goes up, I said 20% year on year, the sales dollars are flat in part because they've got to do some um, makeups for the COVID season in the spring, um, but in part because their growth strategy is really about acquisition. For Altera Mountains and this Icon Pass, um, they have more than 40 sister properties or partner properties in this Icon Pass. So right now in the Catskills where I am, you have Hunter, part of Vale Resorts, competing with the Epic Pass, and then Wyndham Mountain, which is part of the Icon program just around the corner. And both of these drive-to markets from urban centers really core to the ways these companies are looking to expand because right now they know those city people looking to get out of Dodge, that's a big base of business.
2: Yeah, you'll see you'll see whether or not those partnerships kind of help the consumer out as well to give them more options for their dollar in skiing. It's become a very expensive sport for sure. Contessa Brewer out in Hunter Mountain. Thank you very much for, for that report. We appreciate it. Well, Walmart is betting that TikTok isn't just for watching viral videos and a chip off the old block on the golf course. Those are just a few of the stories that we think everyone will be talking about later on today. Rahel Solomon is here with more on those trending topics. Rahel.
4: Hello, Dom. So let's start with more problems for one of the year's most highly anticipated video games. Sony pulling Cyberpunk 2077 from the PlayStation Store. It's also offering full refunds to anyone who bought the game from the site. So players have found the role-playing game, which has only been out for a little more than a week, is riddled with bugs, it's prone to routine crashes, and a number of distracting visual glitches. Sony says you can go to PlayStation.com to request a refund. It's unclear whether Microsoft also plans to pull the game from the Xbox Store. And Walmart teaming up with TikTok on what it's calling a first-of-its-kind shoppable live stream event that's happening tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. The Holiday Along Spectacular, as it's called, is a one-hour variety show featuring 10 popular TikTok creators. They'll show off their favorite Walmart fashion items, and pins will pop up so you can buy them without ever having to leave the platform. And, Dom, I think you'll like this one. Tiger Woods there playing with his 11-year-old son, Charlie, in the PNC Championship this weekend in Orlando. It's an annual special event that matches major golf winners with a family member. They were practicing yesterday, and Charlie, I don't know, looks like a little mini version of his dad, right down to the golf swing and the Nike swoosh on his jacket. Tiger says it's really so much fun to see Charlie enjoying the game. The PNC, by the way, airs on NBC this weekend. A little, little dose of cuteness there. For I mean, if you
2: look at I don't know, I, I don't know if you I mean, I know that you may not be the, the biggest massive golf fan out there. But if you watch a lot of the videos on social media of the two of them together swinging next to each other, it literally looks like a carbon copy in a smaller form. <laughs> with Charlie Woods looking like his dad. I mean, it, it, it brings into this whole nature versus nurture debate, right? I mean, you, you know that he's getting the right instruction, but you know it's also in the genes, right? So it's a little exactly. bit of both. Exactly, it's a
4: little bit of both, the nature and the nurture there. But also, much like Tiger, I saw some, some reporting saying that, you know, much like him with his father, he's not really pushing the sport onto him, but it's great to see him having fun. So we'll see if he really takes to the sport as his dad did.
2: You know, it's, it's kind of funny, Rahel, before we let you go here, he, they're, not, they're actually not the absolute favorite. They're close to the favorite to win this thing. It's Justin Thomas and his father, I believe, at last right. check, that are favored <laughs> to win this event. So right. it'll be fun to watch on NBC this weekend.
4: Absolutely, either way.
2: All right, Rahel Solomon, thank you very much for those trending stories. On deck for this show, the big story is likely to drive today's trading action. But first, do not forget... That as you can see there, Worldwide Exchange is now a podcast. Yes, a podcast. It's just another way to get all the essential, actionable information. We bring you right here on Worldwide Exchange every morning. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast application is. And subscribe to Worldwide Exchange today. We'll be back after this. All right. Futures right now pointing to at least a little bit of a mixed open at the opening bell, slightly, uh, slightly, I I guess, lower action going right now. You can see there. Now, take a look. The broader markets are coming off a record-setting session. All three major averages closing at near-record highs and new highs over the weekend here amid optimism over vaccines and a potential deal in Washington. And despite disappointing economic data and rising COVID cases here. But take a look at some of the themes that we're seeing develop so far this year. First of all, growth versus value. This particular white line shows the growth-oriented stocks within the larger cap Russell 1000. The orange line shows the Russell 1000 value oriented stocks. These two ETFs track it. Look at how big they were trading pretty closely pre pandemic. You can see here. Right. But then all of a sudden it's gotten so wide over the course of the year so far. So we're seeing whether or not those value type stocks will play any kind of a catch up to those growth oriented companies later on in the coming year. And another thing to watch here is whether or not small cap stocks will actually outperform. They have been as of late, but you can see there, again, trading fairly closely together over the course pre-pandemic. And then it's getting slightly wider here at some of the points during the spring and summer. And then we're pretty close right now. They've played catch up there. So yes, small cap stocks have now cotton up with the large cap ones, let's see if the value stocks catch up with growth. Let's now bring in Sean Snyder, head of investment strategy at City Personal Wealth Management. I mean, Sean, these themes have been talked about for years now, but the small cap story is now playing out. Is that at least a good sign for the broader economy and market?
10: Yes, I think it is. It is a good sign. Uh, you know, I think this rotation into value started a while ago. I think it started in kind of mid-June. It just didn't get a lot of attention until really November. Um, And that's when we saw the vaccine announcements and the high um, efficacy rates of them. And and that really kind of sparked um, the rally there. But we think there's further room to run on it. Um, You know, I think vaccines are some of the most powerful stimulus we'll see in 2021. Um, I know we're focused on Washington this weekend, but um, vaccines really are a game changer. And I, I think we'll see sort of a, a new beginning um, where hopefully this is the beginning of the end for COVID-19 and um, a new beginning for society where we return to normal or some sort of form of normal. Hopefully by 2022, we're completely back to normal. Um, and, and I think those small cap companies will continue to uh, rally on, on that. Now, Sean, two words that I've heard mentioned a lot over the course of the past
2: several weeks are priced and in implying that the levels that we're seeing in the market right now already reflect all the optimism from the covid recovery in 2020 and beyond into 2021 how much then is actually then priced into the market and if so how much more can it go
10: so we often talk about the idea of priced in and i'm not sure anyone really knows what exactly is priced in i do think optimism is quite high right now, particularly in the U.S. I mean, I think that could set you up for, you know, some sort of pullback or correction if you do get a negative catalyst. Um, Maybe there's some disappointments on the vaccine front. Um, Maybe the runoffs in Georgia on January 5th for control of the Senate, you know, causes a a bit of a a pullback. But at the end of the day, um, I think if you look at these stocks that were really damaged by COVID, not not the technology stocks, the ones that benefited, but the ones that suffered, um, airlines, casinos, and um, you know they still have negative returns year to date. So I think to say that it's fully priced in in those segments of the market um, is not true. Um, it may look like it's priced in when you look at the headline index because of the heavy concentration in technology, but there's significant areas of the market um, that has not recovered yet, uh, but we think will recover more in the year ahead.
2: So from a strategy standpoint, then investors have to look towards different allocations right now. Do you? How do you balance the whole trend is your friend trade with mega cap technology and comm services versus the mean reversion trade, which is all of these travel and leisure and hospitality companies going back to kind of where they were pre-pandemic?
10: Right. So I don't think you have to abandon technology companies. I think they were good companies uh, before the pandemic, and it seems like in some cases, maybe even better companies. Um, after the pandemic, but, you know, the valuations there are are much richer. You know, you think of uh, a major phone maker that happens to, you know, be a a type of fruit, uh, has a higher valuation than the FTSE 100 in the UK. Now, it's really not a comment on the valuations there, you know, or that one particular valuation, but it points out that there's actually pockets of value elsewhere. And particularly, I think if you look overseas, the PE ratios there, Um, you know, are are high, but they're lower than they are in the U.S. Uh, Also, if you have an expectation for a weaker U.S. dollar, uh, that benefits U.S. investors that invest in foreign assets. So um, investors might start to look overseas in the year ahead. Um, They haven't rallied as strongly as the United States has. They're still playing catch-up. So um, you really have to kind of look around a bit. Um, It's not quite as easy as it was in 2020. It's hard to say. (laughs) Which feels weird saying that 2020 was an easy year, but with such massive fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus, it turned out to be um, a much better year for investors um, than we expected. All right. Sean Snyder at City, thank you very much.
2: Have a nice weekend, sir. Happy holidays. Thank you, too. Happy holidays. All right. Thanks very much. That does it for here on Worldwide Exchange here. Check out the futures right now, because, again, showing some stability. Dow Jones applied lower by just 15 points. Squawk box is coming up next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on
9: CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
7: of a detour.